Hi, Rebecca Shear here. Looking for more ways to circle round with us? Join the Circle Round Club and get all sorts of great perks, like a welcome box with Circle Round goodies, monthly newsletters, even ad-free episodes, and bonus bedtime stories. Support our public radio podcast and sign up now at wbur.org slash Club. Produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. Hi, it's that special time of year, the winter holidays, and we're going to make your days even more merry and bright. You're about to hear 90 minutes of your favorite Circle Round stories all about family. It's a special we're calling Family Ties. So, whether you're on the road, in the sky, or staying home with those you love, happy listening. As you're listening right now, do you know what month it is? If so, go ahead and say it out loud. There are 12 months in the year, right? And they line up in a very particular order. January gives way to February. February is replaced by March. And March leads into which month? That's right, April. And on it goes all year long. But in today's story, we'll hear what happens when a hardworking young woman gets to experience the months out of order. I'm Rebecca Shear, and welcome to Circle Round, where story time happens all the time. Today, our tale is called The Months of the Year. Versions of this story have been told in Russia, Greece, and the Czech Republic. Some really great people came together to bring you our tale, including Joshua Rush and Elsa Chang. Joshua Rush stars in Andy Mack, now in its second season on the Disney Channel. And if you listen to NPR, you'll recognize Elsa Chang as the co-host of All Things Considered. So, circle around, everyone, for the months of the year. Anna and her younger brother Otto lived on a farm beside a tall, tall mountain. The siblings had just inherited the farm from their mother and father. Anna was heartbroken to lose her parents, but she vowed she would take extra special care of her little brother Otto. So, day after day, month after month, season after season, Anna worked. In addition to cooking and cleaning in the house, she did chores on the farm. In the spring, she'd plant crops and take care of the new piglets, calves, and chicks. In the summer, she'd weed the gardens and harvest crops. She'd spend the fall harvesting even more crops. And in the winter, she'd make sure the animals in the barn were warm, dry, and fed. Every now and again, Otto would help out, pulling a weed here, collecting an egg there. But the little boy didn't have the heart to do anything more. Now that his parents were gone, he was simply too sad. So Anna did everything she could to cheer him up. One frosty January morning, as the winter wind raged outside, Anna gathered some eggs and made breakfast. Here you go, little brother. This warm, hearty omelet ought to keep away the winter chill. Otto took one bite and frowned. Thank you, Anna. But this omelet doesn't taste like the ones Mom and Dad used to make. They're missing something. Those little round pieces Dad used to call fairy bracelets? Anna smiled at the memory of the tiny, flavorful green rings. Oh, yeah, you mean chopped up scallions? Yes, scallions. Anna sighed. 
Oh, Otto, but it's January. Our herb garden is buried in a foot of snow. We won't be able to pick scallions until spring arrives in March. Otto's face crumpled. Anna was sure he was about to cry. Okay, little brother. I'll tell you what. You want some scallions? I'll get you scallions. Wait right here. Anna wrapped herself in a shawl, jumped into her boots, and headed outside with a basket. The air was so cold she could see her breath. As she glanced across the snow-covered fields, her gaze landed on the tall, tall mountain. Hmm, the snow is up to my knees here on the farm, but the mountain is covered with trees. Maybe the ground is clear enough over there for something to be poking its head through the earth, like Otto's scallions? So Anna crunched through the snow toward the mountain. As she entered the woods, she found that, indeed, snow was clinging to the tree's branches, leaving very little on the ground. Still, it was January, so there wasn't a live plant to be seen. Before long, Anna's teeth were chattering. Just as she was about to give up and head home, she spotted something flickering through the trees. Ah. Pulling her shawl more tightly around herself, Anna moved toward the light. Soon she smelled wood smoke and heard the splutters, pops, and crackles of a fire. She quickened her stride and found herself in a clearing. In the middle was a massive bonfire, its orange and yellow flames leaping higher than the trees. And sitting around the bonfire were women, some very old, some very young. Anna counted 12 women total. Um, hello? Hello? I hope you don't mind my asking, but may I please warm myself by your fire? I've been wandering these woods for hours, and I'm just chilled to the bone. One of the oldest women smiled. She wore a silver velvet robe, and her braided hair was white as snow. On either side of her sat two other snowy-haired women, also decked out in silver. Of course you may warm yourself, child. Come, come, join us. As Anna settled down in front of the fire, she felt the sensation return to her stiff fingers. She turned to the old woman and noticed she was sitting higher than everyone else, on a throne made of stone. Thank you so much for this. I wasn't sure how much longer I'd last in those woods. You're very welcome, Anna. You know my name? We do. We also know you came to the mountain in this bitter cold to find something. Tell us, what is it? Anna smiled sheepishly. Well, this might sound wacky, but I'm looking for scallions. Scallions? In January? But scallions don't grow until March. I know, I know. It was my little brother's idea. You see, my parents used to put chopped scallions in our omelets. And Otto, he's been so sad since we lost Mom and Dad. My baby brother is the only family I have left in the world. And I'm so grateful to have him. I just can't bear to see him disappointed. The woman on the throne nodded her head. Ah, yes, there's nothing in the world like family, is there? I, for one, don't know what I'd do without my sisters here. She gestured around the circle. Anna noticed the twelve women were sitting in four groups. 
Next to the elders in silver were three slightly younger women, wearing woolen capes of red and gold. The next three women were even younger, their silken sundresses blue as the sky. The final three wore bright green jumpers. They were girls, no older than Otto. Suddenly, one of the girls turned to the old woman on the throne. Excuse me, January, may I say something? Of course, March. Anna was confused. January? March? What kind of names were these? Well, like you said, scallions don't usually grow until I come around, so... The girl motioned toward January's throne. What if I took your place, just for a moment? Suddenly, Anna understood. These women were the months of the year. That's a very generous suggestion, March. But everyone knows February comes before you do. January nodded at one of the white-haired women beside her. February? I know you get the short end of the stick, being just 28 days and all. But would you mind if March jumped ahead of you, just for a little while? Say, 15 minutes? Of course, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind at all. Anna, we've seen you work hard on that farm of yours. Whatever the month, whatever the season, you belong to all of us months, and we belong to you. March, go ahead. The throne is yours. As soon as March climbed on to the stone throne, the bonfire blazed even higher. Trees burst into bud, birds broke into song, and the clearing went from being coated with snow to being covered with emerald green scallions. Anna was too stunned to move. Well, don't just stand there, Anna. We've got 15 minutes, so pick those scallions. Anna stuffed as many scallions as she could into her basket. I cannot tell you how grateful I am for this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now that March had melted all the snow, Anna was able to sprint back home, swift as a deer. But the moment she reached the door, the winds picked up again, and the snow fell so thick, it was like somebody tore open a massive feather bed. Otto! Otto, come here quick! I've brought you your scallions! Otto came running to the kitchen. Scallions? But I thought you said they wouldn't be ready until March. Where'd you find them? Anna smiled. You'll never believe this. Under the trees on the mountain. Let's just say I had a little help. Now, how about some fairy bracelet omelets? The next morning, Anna made a batch of yogurt using fresh milk from Otto's favorite cow. But when she offered her brother a bowl at breakfast, his eyes filled with tears. Thank you, Anna. But remember how Mom and Dad used to put a strawberry on top of our yogurt? They said it was just like a clown's nose. Anna grinned. So they did. But, little brother, strawberries aren't in season until June. June? Yes, June. But I tell you what, kiddo. Anna turned her eyes toward the mountain. I'll see what I can do. What do you think will happen? Will Anna find the strawberries Otto seeks? We'll find out after a quick break. Hello, my name is Sherwari. 
I live in Germany. My favorite circle round is uh, the months of the year. I like it when the greedy woman goes to the 12 months and asks them for food and she doesn't get it so she goes into the storm. Welcome back to Circle Round. I'm Rebecca Shear. Today, our story is called The Months of the Year. When we left off, Otto had asked his older sister, Anna, for strawberries. It was January, and strawberries weren't in season until June. But just the day before, Anna had stumbled upon the 12 months, a group of women, old and young, and they took a liking to her. So after Otto requested his strawberries, Anna threw on her shawl and boots, grabbed a basket, and trekked up the mountain. Again, the 12 months were gathered around their bonfire. With January sitting on the high stone throne, Anna gave a little wave. Hey, hello, it's me, yes, again. Kind women, may I please warm myself by your fire? January motioned for Anna to sit down. It's nice to see you again, Anna. But what brings you back? Don't tell me you're hunting for something else now. How did you guess? Strawberries. My little brother wants strawberries. Strawberries? Oh, Anna. Strawberries can't grow in the snow. But I understand. June, why don't you take my throne for a little while? One of the women in sky-blue sundresses jumped to her feet. It would be my honor, January. The moment June took the throne, the flames of the fire flared higher, and once again the snow melted away. Leaves danced in the trees, bumblebees zipped through the air, and bright green plants covered the ground, all of them bursting with red, ripe strawberries. Okay, Anna. Here are your strawberries. Pick them fast. Anna plucked as many strawberries as she could and placed them in her basket. Oh, I appreciate this so, so much. Thank you. Thank you all. Anna raced home, sweating in the summer sun. As soon as she reached the door, the sun gave way to clouds and snow drifted down from the sky. Otto! Oh, Otto! I've brought you your strawberries! Otto came skipping to the kitchen. (gasps) Strawberries! Did you find them under the trees on the mountain again? Anna smiled. Maybe. Now, how about a clown nose? Anna and Otto were about to dig into their yogurt and strawberries when they heard a knock on the door. It was a woman. She said she was their aunt. Oh, I can't believe my poor dear brother is gone. I would have gone to the funeral, but one thing led to another, and I couldn't make it. Still, I hope I'm not too late to collect my inheritance. Wait a minute. Are those strawberries in your bowls? And such red, ripe ones, too. The woman arched an eyebrow at Anna. Wait a minute. How did you find strawberries this miserably frigid time of the year? Anna had never seen this woman before, but her heart leapt at the thought of having even more family out there in the world. So she told the woman everything. Hmm. And 
Did the 12 months give you anything else? Just some scallions. That's all I asked for. I mean, that's all Otto wanted. And all I want is for my little brother to be happy. The woman scowled. What an opportunity you wasted. You got to meet all 12 months, and you could have asked them for anything. Anything! Crunchy carrots and cucumbers, sweet apples and pears. Treasures like those would bring in a fortune during the winter. You could have sold them and made a mint. The woman bolted toward the door. I'm going to that clearing on the mountain, and I'm coming back with a bounty. A harvest. A cornucopia! Anna and Otto watched the woman hurry toward the mountain and disappear into the trees. As she walked through the thick, dark forest, the woman shivered. Eventually, she saw the light flickering through the trees and came upon the clearing where the twelve months sat around their fire. Without a friendly greeting or even a please may I, she strode right up to the bonfire, plopped down with her back to the twelve months, and began rubbing her hands. January spoke up. And who might you be? The woman turned around. Oh, I am but a poor wanderer, here to get your help. January raised a snow-white eyebrow. Oh, and what is it you want, poor wanderer? Well, I was thinking. March could give me some scallions, and June could offer strawberries, the really red, really ripe ones, and then... July could give me fresh cucumbers and the most tender mushrooms. From August, I'm thinking apples, maybe some sweet pears. And from September, I don't know, ripe walnuts, maybe? As for October, I was... Enough. Don't you know that summer cannot come before spring, and spring cannot come before winter? Right now, I am sitting on the throne... And I intend to rule here until my time is up. The woman claiming to be Anna and Otto's aunt rolled her eyes. Oh, please. You know what? I didn't come here to talk with a white hair like you anyway. Winter isn't good for anything except snow and frost. I want the summer months. They are the most valuable. With all the bounty they produce, they hold the most earning power. January frowned. Oh, so you want power, eh? I'll show you power. January waved her arms. Immediately, the sky filled with clouds, the air filled with snow, and the bonfire and all 12 months disappeared. The woman found herself alone in a wild storm. The icy wind whistled and whipped her ears as she tried weaving her way out of the forest. Eventually, she wound up in a village on the other side of the tree-covered mountain and never wandered near the woods again. Back at the farm, Anna and Otto stayed cozy and warm that winter. And when spring came... Both siblings tended to the chores, in summer too, and fall, and winter. 
And though Anna never saw the women around the bonfire again, every month she would think of them and thank them for their gifts. For the way March, April, and May brought the earth back to life. For the sun that June, July, and August sent to warm everyone's faces. For the fruits and vegetables ready for picking in September, October, and November. And the sparkling snow ready for playing and sledding in December, January, and February. And after Anna's adventure on the mountain, the farm she shared with Otto seemed especially charmed. When other places were swelteringly hot, the farm was that much cooler. When elsewhere it was freezing cold and the wind raged and moaned, at the farm it was milder and calm. Because maybe what February said is true. When you belong to all of the months, they belong to you. Now it's your turn. Do you have a favorite month of the year or a favorite season? Find a piece of paper and something to draw with and create a picture of you enjoying that month or season. Maybe you're picking spring flowers or swooping down your favorite sledding hill. Perhaps you're watching Fourth of July fireworks or sitting down at the Thanksgiving table. Once you're done drawing your picture, share it with someone you like to have fun with family member or friend, and then if you feel like it, share it with us. Ask a grown-up to take a photo of your creation and email it to circleround at wbur.org. Today's story, The Months of the Year, was adapted by me, Rebecca Shear, and edited by our executive producer, Jessica Elpert. Original music and sound design is by Eric Shimalonis. Our artist is Sabina Hahn. Special thanks to this week's actors, Kimberly Schraff, Dolores King-Williams, Carolyn Roulette, L. Borders, Anne Underland, Joshua Rush, and Elsa Chang. Joshua stars in Andy Mack, now in its second season on the Disney Channel. You can also check out his self-produced Instagram series, News in a Rush. And you can hear Elsa co-host All Things Considered on NPR. The featured instrument in today's story was the tank drum. You can learn more about this member of the percussion family and see a picture on our website, wbur.org slash circle round. If you haven't yet subscribed to Circle Round, find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a moment, please write us a review. It helps other people find the show. Circle Round is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. I'm Rebecca Shear. Thanks for circling round with us. If you could wish for anything, anything at all, what would it be? Would it be something you want or something you need? It's not always easy to tell the difference, right? Today we'll hear the story of two brothers, one magic jar, and a wish so big it filled the entire ocean. I'm Rebecca Shear, and welcome to Circle Round, where story time happens all the time. Today, our story is called Why the Ocean is Salty. Versions of this story have been told all over Asia, including Vietnam on the South China Sea and the island nation of the Philippines. Some really great people came together to help bring this one to you, including Lou Diamond Phillips and John John Briones. So, Circle Round, everyone, for Why the Ocean is Salty. 
Once upon a time, very long ago, there were two brothers. These brothers were very different from each other. The older one, whose name was Rosaldo, was loud and impatient. The younger brother, whose name was Bayani, was quiet and didn't like to ask for anything or get in anyone's way. Rosaldo and Bayani's father ran a successful fishing business. By the time he was old, he had more than enough money for food and was able to build a comfortable home for his family. He told Rosaldo and Bayani that they should divide his wealth equally after he passed away. But that is not what happened. Rosaldo, the loud and impatient older brother, ignored his father's wishes. He took all the money for himself and spent it on fancy clothing and a fleet of fishing boats. He also bought a large house, the largest one on his island. As a result, Bayani, the quiet younger brother, was very poor. He lived in a tiny house on a different island and struggled to support his wife and four children. But Bayani didn't like to make a fuss, so he worked hard for every penny, going out every day in his tiny boat to catch fish. One New Year's Eve, Bayani was walking home from work and feeling sad. Try as he might, he had not caught one fish all day. What am I going to do? Tonight is New Year's Eve. I can't go home to my family with nothing for them to eat. Bayani was so ashamed, he bowed his head down as he walked. Without realizing where he was going, suddenly he bumped into someone. Oh, I'm so sorry. Looking up, Bayani saw an old man with a bright white beard and a ragged bag slung over his shoulder. The man was hunched with age and walked with a cane, but his face was sharp and alert. You look like you are distracted, my son. Your head is in the sea. Yes, sir. I suppose I am distracted. Whatever is the matter? Well, tonight is New Year's Eve... And I didn't catch any fish for my family to eat. We are very poor, and I had no luck today. The old man smiled. I can tell you are a good person, my son. I will give you some help. The old man reached a wrinkled hand into his tattered bag and took out... A jar? It was a big glass jar. Bayani noticed it was empty. This, my son, isn't just any jar. It's magic. Magic? Yes, magic. But you must use it in a very special way. You see, this jar will give you anything you wish. All you have to do is tell it what you want. But you must remember to ask for only what you need. And then, when you have enough... You must tell the jar, stop. Do you understand? Bayani nodded. Yes, I must only ask the jar for what I need. And when there is enough? I must tell the jar to stop. Good. Now I think you have a family waiting for you. Happy New Year's Eve. The old man handed Bayani the magic jar and disappeared into the forest. When Bayani got back to his house, he put the jar on the table. He gathered his wife and four children around him. Jar? I need some fish. Please. Suddenly, the jar began to fill up with fish. Delicious white fish that was good to eat. Remembering what the man had told him, Bayani waited until there was enough fish for his family. And then... Stop, jar. And the jar stopped, just like that. Bayani took the fish out of the jar and handed it to his son so he could start cooking. Thank you, jar. Now I need some salt for the fish. Please. 
Just like that, the jar began to fill with salt. Bayani only needed a little bit of salt, so as soon as he saw a thin layer along the bottom... Stop, jar. And the jar stopped. Bayani's family ate well that New Year's Eve, and they continued using the jar into the new year, asking only for what they needed and nothing more. One day, Bayani's older brother Rosaldo hopped into one of his many boats and sailed to Bayani's island. When he reached the shore, he started to walk toward his younger brother's house. As he got closer, he spotted Bayani through the window. It seemed his little brother was acting strangely. Was he talking to a jar? Rosaldo stopped at the edge of the yard to watch. Jar, I want some salt. After Bayani uttered those words, Rosaldo watched as the jar began to fill with salt. And when there was enough salt in the jar for Bayani's family... Stop, jar. And the jar stopped. Now, as you know, Rosaldo was an impatient man, and a greedy one, too. He ran up to Bayani's house and burst through the door. Little brother, you have to tell me where you got that jar. Bayani was startled to see Rosaldo. He noticed his older brother was trembling, and his eyes were as wide as saucers. Big brother, I I did not see you standing there. I say again, little brother, where did you get that jar? Bayani smiled, remembering his encounter on New Year's Eve. I got it from an old man. It was New Year's Eve, and I hadn't caught any fish. That is a magic jar, little brother. It should be mine. You should give it to me because I am the older brother. Now remember, Bayani didn't like to make a fuss, so usually he would say yes to his older brother. But Bayani knew Rosaldo was a greedy man, and he knew he would never follow the old man's instructions, so this time would have to be different. No, big brother. What did you say? I said no, Rosaldo. I cannot give you the jar. Why not? Because the old man gave the jar to me, and I know the very special way to use it. Rosaldo's face grew bright red. He clenched his hands into fists. Do you know how much money salt is worth? I could have the jar make pile after pile of salt and then sell it to become a rich man. Even richer than I am now. Bayani remembered what the old man had told him, that he must only ask the jar for what he needed. I'm sorry, Rosaldo. I will not give you the jar. Rosaldo was so angry that he stormed out of Bayani's house, slamming the door behind him. He stomped back to his big boat. Who does that Bayani think he is? I am the older brother. I should have that magic jar. Rosaldo's fury grew as he rowed his boat. He grunted as he drove his oars through the water. Suddenly, he had an idea. If Bayani won't give me the magic jar, I will steal it. Then I will have piles and piles of salt all to myself. I will sell those piles and piles of salt and make piles and piles of money. Rosaldo was pleased with his plan. He congratulated himself for being so smart, and as he rode the rest of the way home, he smiled. So, will Rosaldo steal the magic jar from his younger brother? What do you think will happen if Rosaldo gets his hands on the old man's gift? We'll find out. After a quick break. Hello, my name is Hugo and I'm from Ireland. My favorite circle round store is when the sea is salty. Welcome back to Circle Round. I'm Rebecca Shear. Today, our story is called Why the Ocean is Salty. 
When we left off, greedy older brother Rosaldo was planning to steal a magic jar from his younger brother, Bayani. The magic jar gives you anything you want, but you must only ask for what you need. And when there is enough, you must tell the jar to stop. Rosaldo wanted that jar so badly he could taste it. So, late at night, he left his grand house and got into his boat. He paddled across the bay as quietly as he could. I will steal that jar right out of my brother's house. He is not smart like I am. He does not know how to make money. He does not deserve that magic jar. Bayani's house was quiet when Rosaldo arrived. A full moon was shimmering and an owl hooted from a nearby tree. When Rosaldo pushed open the door, he saw the magic jar sitting on his brother's table. Standing on tiptoe, he crept across the room and picked up his new treasure. Suddenly, Rosaldo heard a loud creak. He froze. What if his brother awoke and saw him stealing the jar? But then he realized the creak was just the wind blowing against the humble woodhouse. Rosaldo breathed a sigh of relief. Clutching the magic jar, he snuck through the door, hopped back into his boat, and started rowing. <laughs> I've got it! I will be the richest man on the island. I will be the richest man in the whole world. Rosaldo was so excited, he simply could not hold himself back. Dropping the oars, he put the jar on his lap. Rays of moonlight glinted off the jar's glass sides. Jar, I want some salt. Rosaldo chuckled as the jar began to fill with salt. <laughs> That's silly, Bayani. Why did he never think to do this? With this jar... I will have so much salt and make so much money. The salt inside the jar kept going up and up. When it reached the very top, it kept on going. Soon, salt was pouring over the sides of the jar. It was pouring onto the boat. It filled the whole bottom of the boat, but Rosaldo did not tell the jar to stop. Before long, Rosaldo was up to his ankles in salt, then his knees, then his waist. The boat began to sink lower and lower into the water. Suddenly, Rosaldo realized he was in trouble. Oh, no! The, the salt is too heavy for my boat! Cut it out, Jar! You are making my boat sink! But Rosaldo did not say stop, so the Jar did not stop. Hey, Jar! Did you hear me? My boat is filling up with salt and I will soon be in the water if you don't behave! But the Jar did not stop. It made so much salt, Rosaldo's boat sank beneath the water. The magic jar drifted down into the sea, making more and more salt as it went. Rosaldo could do nothing but summon his strength and swim home. But that's not where our story ends. According to legend, because of Rosaldo's impatience and greed, all of that salt mixed with all of that water became what we now know as the ocean. To this day, the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, all the oceans of the world are salty. All because Rosaldo asked for what he wanted and not what he needed. The salty water reminds us to take only what we need. And when there is enough, we say... Stop. Now it's your turn. Pretend you're the one who received a magic jar from the mysterious old man. What would you ask for? Just remember, only ask for what you need. And don't forget to say stop. 
If you had fun hearing why the ocean is salty, now you can color it, too. Look for artist Sabina Hahn's black and white illustrations on our website, wbur.org slash circle round. Click the coloring pages link to find pictures for all our stories. Special thanks to this week's actors, John Lesko, Lou Diamond Phillips, and John John Briones. Grown-ups, you can catch Lou Diamond Phillips in the Netflix series Longmire. And you can see John John Briones on the FX show The Assassination of Gianni Versace, American Crime Story. Circle Round is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Don't forget to subscribe to Circle Round on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a moment, please write us a review. It helps other people find Circle Round. I'm Rebecca Shear. Thanks for circling around with us. Think about the last time you used your imagination, your creativity. Maybe you drew a picture or wrote a story, or you dreamed up an innovative way to solve a problem. That's exactly what the main character in today's story tries to do. In order to reach her goal, she needs to think outside of the box. I'm Rebecca Shear, and welcome to Circle Round, where story time happens all the time. Today, our story is called 100 Rooms. Versions of this folktale originally come from Great Britain. Some really great people came together to bring you our tale, including seven-time Emmy Award winner Ed Asner, whom you grown-ups may know as Lou Grant from The Mary Tyler Moore Show and Santa Claus from Elf, and whom you kids might remember as Carl in the movie Up. Right now, Ed Asner is starring in his own one-man show, which we'll hear more about after our story. So circle around, everyone, for 100 Rooms. The morning of Frederick's 100th birthday, he woke up with a smile. He'd lived a long, happy life, working his way up to become a successful merchant and raising three daughters whom he adored. Their names were Harmony, Melody, and Calliope. Frederick had always loved music, but he was too busy buying, selling, and trading to learn how to play an instrument. So he'd given his daughters musical names in hopes that someday one of them would become a musician. Harmony, his oldest, didn't seem very interested, nor did his middle child, Melody. But Calliope's ears had always perked up at the opening notes of any song, and from a young age, she was dabbling in all sorts of instruments, from the violin to the piano to the drums. To celebrate Frederick's 100th birthday, his daughters threw him a big party at his grand mansion. All 100 rooms of the mansion were brimming with smiling, chattering guests. After the guests had gobbled up their cake and gone home, Frederick called Harmony, Melody, and Calliope to his side. My daughters, today was marvelous. Thank you for such a glorious party. Harmony, the eldest, had grown up to become a businesswoman. You're welcome, Father. It was such a pleasure organizing the guest list and ordering all the supplies. And everything looked so perfect. Frederick's middle daughter, Melody, was a hotel manager. 
The staff set up everything just as I requested. The tables, the chairs, the flowers, everything. Frederick smiled at his two older daughters. You both did beautifully. Then he turned his eyes to his youngest. And you, Calliope, those musicians, wherever did you find them? I've never heard such wonderful music in my very own house. Calliope blushed. They're actually students at the music school where I teach. I've been rehearsing with them for months. And they were fantastic. Everything today was fantastic. But my daughters, that's not the main reason I wanted to speak with you. You see, I'm an old man now. And I won't be around forever. Oh, come now, Father. You're as spry as can be. That's very sweet of you to say, Melody. But I'm 100 years old. Soon it will be time for me to move on. And here I am with this grand mansion. 100 rooms full of marble floors and wood-paneled walls. Brick fireplaces and spacious balconies. And I can't take any of it with me when I go. That's why when I do go, I'm leaving each one of you. He took a deep breath. One gold coin. Harmony, the businesswoman, cocked her head. Um, father, with all due respect... Why leave us just one gold coin? Melody, the hotel manager, was confused, too. Right. Like you said, you're a wealthy man. Frederick's lips curled into a smile. Ah, but I wasn't always that way. When I started out, my pockets didn't contain much more than one gold coin. His eyes shimmered at the memory. But... Through years of innovation and patience, I got where I am today. So now, my girls, I'm asking each one of you to exercise those same skills. With just one gold coin, each of you must buy something. Something that will fill up every room in this mansion. All 100 of them. Wall to wall, floor to ceiling, corner to corner, all at the same time. Whoever does that, this entire place is yours. Harmony, Melody, and Calliope squeezed their father's hands. Harmony spoke up first. Don't worry, father. When I win, and with all my business savvy, I'm sure to win, I can assure you I'll take Excellent care of this estate. Melody smiled sweetly. Don't get ahead of yourself, Harmony. With everything I've learned at the hotel, I'm sure to come out on top. (laughs) At which point, Father, I guarantee your home will be in the very best of hands. Now, unlike Harmony and Melody, Frederick's youngest daughter, Calliope, didn't have fancy degrees or a big staff at a hotel. What she did have was a warm smile an even warmer heart, and the deep love of music she'd inherited from her father. She leaned into Frederick and kissed his cheek. Father, 
If I'm able to fill this house wall to wall, floor to ceiling, corner to corner, all at the same time, I promise I will give every single room the very best of care. I also promise I'll take care of my beloved sisters. Frederick held his youngest daughter's gaze for a moment. It looked like he was about to shed a tear. Then suddenly he glanced at the big grandfather clock in the corner. (laughs) So late. Off you go, my children. It's been a long day, and this old man needs his beauty sleep. That was the last time Harmony, Melody, and Calliope heard their father's voice. A few days after the funeral, just as Frederick promised, each of the daughters received one gold coin, and they set off into the world to carry out their quest. Will Harmony, Melody, and Calliope find something to fill all 100 rooms of the enormous mansion all at the same time? We'll find out after a quick break. Support for Circle Round comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Circle Round. That's Indeed.com slash Circle Round. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for Circle Round comes from Wondery with the new podcast, The Cat in the Hat Cast, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. Listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Welcome back to Circle Round. I'm Rebecca Shear. Today our story is called 100 Rooms. When we left off, a very wealthy and very old merchant named Frederick had just left each of his children one gold coin. Before he died, he told his three daughters they must buy something that would fill every nook and cranny of all 100 rooms of his mansion, all at the same time. Whoever could make that happen would inherit the estate. Harmony, the eldest daughter, was a businesswoman. Soon after receiving the gold coin, she sat in her office chair and drummed her fingers on her big mahogany desk. Her colorful pet parrot was whistling and squawking in a cage in the corner. Okay, Harmony, you went to business school. Just do what you always do and make a list. One, get the gold coin. Check. Two, take the gold coin home. Check. Three, Figure out how to spend the gold coin. But how? And where? As Harmony racked her brain for ideas, her parrot's whistling and squawking grew louder. And louder. Ugh! I can't hear myself think with all this racket. Seriously, bird, if you get much louder, all your feathers will fall out. (gasps) That's it! Feathers! So Harmony set off around the country, 
buying up bag after bag of feathers. Really fluffy feathers, the kind you stuff into pillows and mattresses and comforters. When she got to her father's mansion, his advisors were there waiting. They all wore frowns. Life just hadn't been the same without Frederick around. Harmony dashed through all 100 rooms, tossing handfuls of feathers into the air. When she was finished, the advisors did a search to see whether Harmony had indeed filled every room, wall to wall, floor to ceiling, corner to corner, all at the same time. But by the time they reached the 25th room, they saw the feathers had settled to the floor. And so Harmony, the businesswoman, would not be inheriting her father's mansion. Meanwhile, Melody, the hotel manager, was thinking hard about how she might complete her quest. During her dinner break, she sat alone at a small table in the hotel's restaurant and poked at her food. All right, Melody, we're all about managing, so let's manage this problem. We have a gold coin. How do we spend it? Glancing around the restaurant, Melody thought about how beautiful the room looked with its crystal glasses, lacy napkins, and candles glowing on every table. (gasps) That's it. Candles. Melody used her one gold coin to buy up as many candles as she could. The next night, she rushed to her father's mansion, where his advisors were waiting. They still looked sad from missing Frederick so much. Melody strolled through the mansion and placed a candle in each room. Then she went back and, room by room, struck a match and held it to the candle's wick. Each time she did, the room instantly was saturated with light. When Melody was done, the advisors began their search. But by the time they reached the 50th room, they discovered the candles had burned down to puddles of wax. The rest of the rooms weren't filled with light. They were filled with darkness. And so, as with her older sister before her, Melody, the hotel manager, would not be inheriting her father's mansion. While all this was happening, Frederick's youngest daughter, Calliope, was hard at work at the music school. Her students had a recital coming up, and she wanted to make sure they felt prepared. In memory of her father, Calliope had composed a special song, one that she would perform solo at the end of the concert. She'd written the piece for the harmonica, one of her father's favorite instruments. With the gold coin he'd left her, she went to her favorite music shop and bought a slender silver harmonica, small enough to fit in her pocket. The day before the recital, Calliope told her father's advisors she'd be visiting the mansion. When she arrived, she noticed how blue they all looked. Hello, everyone. Look at your sad eyes. I know how you feel. I miss my father, too. This house feels so empty without him. Let's see if I can find a way to fill it up again. With that, Calliope walked through the mansion and opened every door. Then she went to the middle of the house and stood on the landing of the big, curved marble staircase. There, beneath a shimmering chandelier, she pulled her harmonica out of her pocket and began to play. Beautiful notes began drifting through the rooms, bouncing off the marble floors and wood-paneled walls, filling up the brick fireplaces and spacious balconies. Calliope played her father's song over and over and over. 
And when she finished, she saw all the advisor's frowns had transformed into smiles. Calliope, you've done it. You filled the house. You filled it with music. You filled it with joy. And what's more, you filled it with life. Just like when our father walked these halls. Calliope's eyes widened as her two sisters climbed up the marble staircase. Harmony, Melody, what are you doing here? The advisors called us as soon as you began to play. They told us you'd fulfilled our father's mission. So we're here to congratulate you, little sister. You've won. Calliope smiled. No, Harmony, I haven't won. She reached out and squeezed their hands. We've all won, sisters. All three of us. We won every day of our lives. After all, we had the wisest, sweetest father in the world. And now we'll keep on winning together. You see, I promised father that if I successfully filled all 100 rooms, just as he'd asked, I'd give each one of them the very best of care. I also promised I'd take care of my beloved sisters, and I intend to make good on both those promises. So, she did. Calliope invited Harmony and Melody to come live with her in the mansion, and they gladly and gratefully accepted. Once they were settled in, Harmony handled all the accounting, Melody managed the household, and as for Calliope, well, she opened her very own music school right there in the mansion, and she and her young students made sure that all 100 rooms, wall to wall, floor to ceiling, corner to corner, were always filled with music. Now it's your turn. Let's say you were given one gold coin and a very particular assignment. You must use that gold coin to make the world a better place. What would you do? How would you use it? Think about it and talk it over with a grown-up in your life. After that, have your grown-up share what he or she would do. This week's story, 100 Rooms, was adapted by me, Rebecca Shear, and edited by Circle Round's executive producer, Jessica Albert. Original music and sound design is by Eric Shimalonis, with harmonica playing by Mark Jaster. Our artist is Sabina Hahn. Sabina's created a coloring page for each and every Circle Round story, and we'd love to see you color them in. Ask your grown-up to visit wbur.org slash circle round, then click on coloring pages. Print some out, fill them in, and then, if you'd like, share them on Instagram. We're at instagram.com slash circle round podcast. Special thanks to this week's actors, L. Borders, Richard Epstein, Laura Gardner, Anne Underland, Dolores King-Williams, Jacob Ye, and Ed Asner. Ed Asner is currently starring in two plays, both of which are touring the country. You can learn more about his one-man show and his new political comedy, and find out when they're coming to a theater near you on our website, wbur.org slash circle round. The featured instrument in today's story was the accordion. You can learn more about this reed instrument and see a picture on our website. Again, that's wbur.org slash circle round. Have you subscribed to Circle Round yet? If not, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please write us a review. 
you'll help other people find the show. Circle Round is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. I'm Rebecca Shear. Thanks for circling round with us. It isn't always easy getting along with others, right? Sometimes you just don't want to share, or maybe you don't want to wait your turn. Well, today we're going to meet a brother and sister who know exactly how you feel, and they think they can find the answer through magic. I'm Rebecca Shear, and welcome to Circle Round, where story time happens all the time. Today, our story is called The Lion's Whisker. For many years, versions of this folktale have been shared in Ethiopia, a country in East Africa. Some really great people came together to bring you our tale, including Miles Brown and Marseille Martin, whom you might know from the ABC show Blackish. And if you're a public radio fan, you may recognize NPR's own Ophabia Quistarkton. So, circle around, everyone, for The Lion's Whisker. One summer morning, a brother and sister were waking up from a good night's sleep when their mother called them into the kitchen for breakfast. They jumped out of bed and rushed to the table. But when they got there, they saw there was only one piece of injera left. Injera is a type of Ethiopian bread. Brother and sister both grabbed for it. I sat down first. That injera is mine. No, I sat down first. I'm always faster than you. No, you're not. Yes, I am. This kind of arguing was common in the house. Brother and sister fought over everything. Turns, toys... And, yes, food. That's my injera. No, it isn't. Just then, Grandmother entered the room. Children, children, I've been listening to you fighting since you were wee small things. You're growing older now. Isn't it time the two of you just got along? But, Grandmother, he drives me crazy, and she drives me crazy. Well, children... It isn't always easy having a brother or a sister. But I may have a special potion that could make things better. A special potion? Give it to us, Grandmother, please. Well, I would. But to make this potion, I need a very special ingredient. And I am too old to go out and get it myself. It's a lion's whisker. The mention of a big, mighty, majestic lion made Sister's eyes light up. A lion? We can get it for you, Grandmother. We can get the lion's whisker. Brother stared at his sister in disbelief. Sister, you aren't thinking straight. A lion's whisker? We can't possibly do that. Brother might have been scared, but he also was curious. He watched as Sister grabbed a piece of meat from the kitchen and ran out the door. He stayed a few steps behind as Sister raced through the forest and up to the river. Sister set the meat near the water and jumped behind a bush to hide. Brother jumped behind another bush close by. A few hours later, a big, mighty, majestic lion emerged from the forest and walked up to the river. He sniffed the meat looked around, and gulped it down before slipping back into the forest. Sister was proud of herself for being so brave, 
brother was proud of her too, though he was still too angry from their fight over breakfast to tell her so. As sister headed back to the village, brother followed silently behind. The next morning, sister told brother she was returning to the river. I'll keep you company. Sister and brother walked to the same spot along the river, this time going side by side. They quietly set out two pieces of meat this time, and both hid behind the same bush. Hours later, they spotted the lion slink out of the forest toward the water. There he is! I see him! I see him! Brother and sister grabbed each other's hand as the lion sniffed the meat. Quickly, he gobbled it up before padding back into the forest. As sister and brother headed back to the village, they knew what they had to do. The next day, they would ask the lion for a whisker. After all, it was the only way to help grandmother make her special potion. And that potion was the only way to get them to stop fighting, right? So, will brother and sister be brave enough to ask the lion for a whisker? What do you think will happen when they return to the river? We'll find out after a quick break. Hello, my name is Chen Yuli, and I'm four years old. I come from China, and I live in Kunming. My favorite circle-round story is Lion's Fisker. Welcome back to Circle Round. I'm Rebecca Shear. Today, our story is called The Lion's Whisker. When we left off, sister and brother were helping their grandmother get a special ingredient for a very special potion. She told the children it was a magical concoction that would help them stop fighting. And the ingredient? A lion's whisker. When brother and sister came back to the river, this time they didn't hide behind a bush. Instead, they stood, hand in hand, right along the water. Soon, the lion approached, looking for meat. Still holding hands, sister and brother crept toward him. When they were just a few feet from the big, mighty, majestic creature, they took a deep breath. King Lion, we are the children who left you meat over the past two days. Now, we have a question we'd like to ask. You see, we are brother and sister, and we cannot seem to get along. We fight over everything. Everything. And we wonder if you could please give us one of your whiskers. So that our grandmother can make a special potion to make us stop fighting. The lion lifted his head, blinked his eyes, and took a few slow steps toward brother and sister. He sat down on the ground and brought his face in close. Still clutching her brother's hand, sister used her free hand to gently pull out one of the lion's long whiskers. She stared at it for a moment before she spoke. King Lion, thank you! Thank you so much! We are truly grateful, and we will leave you in peace. The lion nodded, then disappeared into the forest. Brother and sister ran straight home to grandmother. Grandmother! Grandmother! We did it! We got the lion's whisker! That is wonderful, my children. Just wonderful. You did it. And you did it together. So, uh, can we have our potion now? Yes, please. 
Grandmother smiled. My sweet darlings, there is no potion. Brother and sister didn't understand. No potion? How could there be no potion? Children, it wasn't easy to wait for that lion, or to ask him for his whisker, or to work together day after day. Those hard things, those are the same things you need in order to get along. You have shown courage and patience and understanding. A potion cannot soothe fighting hearts. It is you yourselves that can make things better. Brother and sister looked at each other. Courage? Patience? Understanding? Yes, you will be brother and sister forever. And forever you will need to listen to each other and sort things out. It is clear now that you can work together and be kind to one another. Try to use those voices more often and you will fight less. Brother and sister thought about what grandmother said. Listening to each other was not always easy. In fact, it could be downright hard. But getting along was nice. Maybe they could make more of an effort to be kind. The next morning, after a good night's sleep, brother and sister rushed to the kitchen for breakfast. When they reached the table, they found just one piece of injera left. Brother almost grabbed it for himself. But then he thought twice. Why don't we split it? Good idea, brother. A very good idea. Brother and sister didn't stop fighting forever. But to this day, they do quarrel less. They try to listen more and be kinder with their words. It can be hard sometimes, but hey, it's definitely easier than getting a whisker from a lion. Now it's your turn. Is there someone you have trouble getting along with? Maybe it's your brother or your sister or your classmate or friend. How do you think you could get along better? What could you do to help? You know what? Sometimes grown-ups experience these things, too. Pick an adult in your life and ask them. Have they ever had trouble getting along with someone? How did they sort things out? If you can't get enough of the lion's whisker, you can find other versions of this story and some beautiful illustrations by Sabina Hahn, including some you can color. It's all on our website. Tell your grown-ups they can find us at wbur.org slash circle round. We're also keeping an album on Instagram, and we'd love to see what you color. If you'd like to share your picture and your grown-ups use Instagram, ask them to help you post your artwork and tag it with hashtag circle round. We have a new story every week on Circle Round, and we don't want you to miss a single one. You can subscribe to Circle Round on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please write a review. It'll help other people find the show. Today's story, The Lion's Whisker, was adapted by Jessica Alpert and me, Rebecca Shear. Original music and sound design is by Eric Shimalonis, with special thanks this week to instrument builder Sebastian Pott. 
Casting is by Amy Lippins, CSA, along with help from our executive producer, Jessica Albert. Circle Round's illustrator is Sabina Hahn. Our intern is Chris Yulian. Special thanks to today's actors, Ophabia Quistarkton, Miles Brown, and Marseille Martin. You can catch Miles and Marseille on Blackish, now in its fourth season on ABC. Circle Round is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. I'm Rebecca Shear. Thanks for circling around with us. When's the last time you helped someone? Perhaps you set the table or watered the plants. Maybe you introduced yourself to someone new at school. Or you just gave somebody a big hug when he or she needed it most. The people we'll meet in today's story are all about helping other people. But when a mysterious stranger offers them some help, you won't believe what happens. I'm Rebecca Shear, and welcome to Circle Round, where story time happens all the time. Today's folktale is called The Three Wishes. For many years, people have been telling different versions of this story in many countries around the world, from France to Sweden to Puerto Rico. Some really great people came together to bring you this tale, including real-life husband and wife Patrick and Mandy Fabian. Grown-ups, you may recognize Patrick from the AMC original series Better Call Saul. And Mandy is a writer and director who helped create the new Amazon comedy Dropping the Soap. So, circle around, everyone, for the three wishes. Once upon a time, in a cozy little house in the middle of a forest, lived a woodsman and a seamstress. The woodsman spent his days chopping down trees and building sturdy tables and chairs to sell in the village. The seamstress spent her days sewing colorful dresses and coats. She sold those in the village, too. Both the woodsman and seamstress were very skilled at their crafts. And yet, they found it hard to make enough money for food and other things they needed to survive. So, dear wife, how did you do in the village today? Surely a crowd of people lined up to buy your beautiful clothes. Not today, my husband. I sold just one handkerchief. Oh, just one? Yes. The rest I gave away to a poor man who had the worst cold. He was sneezing and sniffling and couldn't scrape together enough pennies for something to wipe his nose. Well, that was kind of you, my dear. But then, you've always been the most generous woman I've ever known. Oh, thank you, my love. And you? How did you do today? That desk you carried into the village must have sold within minutes. Actually, it didn't. Nobody wanted to buy the desk or anything else. In the end, I wound up giving a dozen chairs to the local school so the children could have a place to sit during story time in the library. How sweet of you. Well, you know how I am. I may not have much, but I'll do my best to help someone in need. As will I. That's why we're such a good match. Our lives may be humble, but at least we're lucky enough to have this cozy house, a light in the fire, and, most importantly, each other. That's right, my darling. I wouldn't wish for anything more. One day, while the woodsman was chopping trees at the far edge of the forest and the seamstress was sewing a magnificent jacket at home, she heard a gentle knocking at the door. Hello? Standing outside the cozy little house was a woman, 
an old woman with bright green eyes and long silvery hair. Her clothing was tattered and torn, but her smile was big and warm. Hello, my child. I'm sorry to bother you, but I hope you can help me. I've been traveling alone in the woods, and I have lost my way. My walking stick fell into the river, and I've been wandering around and around and around on my tired old feet. I haven't eaten anything for days and days and days, and I am so hungry. Could you please spare some food? Now remember... The seamstress and the woodsman constantly struggled to make ends meet, so their kitchen didn't have a lot of food. But that didn't stop the seamstress from inviting the woman inside. I'm always happy to help a person in need, and you look very hungry. We don't have much, other than some bread and cheese, but please, take all you want. Thank you, my child. Thank you. The seamstress brought out half a loaf of bread and some slivers of cheese. The old woman gobbled the food up hungrily. Oh, this is delicious. I am grateful for your hospitality. But then I shouldn't be surprised. Word has traveled about how kind and generous you and your husband are. And as a reward for this generosity and kindness, I am going to give you a gift. A gift? Yes, My husband and I, we don't need anything. We just like helping people who need it. Well then, help me help you. The gift I'm offering is this. Starting immediately, right here, right now, any three wishes you or your husband make will instantly come true. The seamstress's eyes widened. She could hardly believe what she was hearing. After all these years of struggling to get by, coming home empty-handed from the village, living on bread and cheese and water, she and her husband could have anything they wanted. All they had to do was wish for it. What do you think the seamstress and woodsman will wish for? What would be on your list if someone offered to grant three of your wishes? We'll find out what happens. After a quick break. I'm Alia. I'm five. I live in Italy. And my favorite circle round story is Fiona and the fairies because I like that Fiona teaches the fairies a lesson. Welcome back to Circle Round. I'm Rebecca Shear. Today's story is called The Three Wishes. When we left off, an old woman with tattered clothing and silvery hair had given a seamstress a gift. As a reward for all the kindness and generosity the seamstress and her husband, the woodsman, had shown others, the old woman would grant three of their wishes. The seamstress was home alone at the time, and when she heard the old woman's words, she was very surprised. What? I can hardly believe this is true. Three wishes, and they'll all come true? Oh, if only my husband were in this house right now to hear of all this. 
The last word had scarcely left her lips when poof! Who should instantly appear in the cozy little house but the woodsman, his axe still in his hands? Oh! What? What? Where? Who? What's going on, my dear? I was just about to chop down the perfect tree for a new bench, and suddenly I'm here. The seamstress gave her husband a big hug and explained everything. How she'd helped the old woman who lost her walking stick, and now the couple had three wishes to use however they saw fit. But wait, you say we have three wishes. By wishing that I could be in this house right now, didn't you just use up our first wish? The seamstress thought for a moment. Oh, I was just so excited about having three wishes. I guess I did use up the first one, didn't I? She turned to the old woman. Uh, can I, um, take it back? The old woman smiled another of her big, warm smiles. No, my child, you cannot. Oh. Well, that's hardly fair. We should have made all three wishes together. Oh, now the first wish is done and gone, and it wasn't even for anything useful. The seamstress turned to her husband with a furrowed brow. Wait a minute. Useful? Yes. You could have wished for more food in the house or for more people to buy your clothing and my furniture. You could have just wished for more money in general, something we could actually use. The seamstress had never seen her husband so angry. In fact, she'd barely seen him get upset over anything. All his life, he'd been a kind and generous man. But suddenly, the possibility of having anything at all, anything in the whole wide world, it seemed to have turned his head. My husband, listen, why get so upset? We still have two more wishes. We can make them together. The woodsman began pacing around the room. The old woman with the silvery hair hobbled over to the corner and eased herself into a chair. No, we will not make them together. I'll make the next wish myself, and it will be for something good. Uh, no, something grand. But what do we need with grand? It's like we always say, at least we're lucky enough to have this cozy house, a light in the fire, and most importantly, each other. Isn't that enough? 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 You just don't get it, do you? We could have anything in the world. We could be king and queen. And all this talk about having enough. Uh, you're acting so ridiculous right now. Uh, may you grow the ears of a donkey. Well, as you might have guessed, no sooner had the woodsman uttered those words than his wife's ears began to grow. And grow. <gasps> My ears! Her ears got furrier and furrier, too, until, yes, they had changed into the pointed ears of a donkey. Oh, no! What have you done? The woodsman stopped his pacing and stared at his wife and her furry, pointed donkey ears. I guess I just used up our second wish, didn't I? He turned to the old woman in the corner. Um, no take-backs? No take-backs. So, uh, just one more wish? Just one more wish. For a long time, the woodsman didn't say a word. When at last he opened his mouth, he gazed directly at his wife, who was now weeping quietly at the table. <sighs> With just one more wish, I might make myself a king. A great king, living in a great palace. I could wish for servants and delicious feasts. 
I could wish for so many horses and lots of land for races. I could wish for fancy parties. Each and every night, I could wish for a brand new life. To begin everything again and leave all of this... He gestured around the cozy little house. Leave it all behind! Still sitting in the corner, the old woman smiled. Everything you say is true. You could use this one last wish for riches and power, for a brand new life. So, is that what you wish for? The seamstress stared at her husband. Smoothing down her furry, pointed donkey ears, she stood up and began walking toward him. My darling, my dear, my love, we've always said we're so ideally matched. We've always said we wouldn't wish for anything more. But if that's truly what you want, riches and power, I cannot stop you. But I will always miss and be sad for the kind and generous man I've always known you to be. The woodsman glanced over at the old woman. Then he looked at his wife. His gaze softened and his shoulders relaxed. Well... I have just one more wish. And, like I said, I might wish to be a great king, living in a great palace. But I do not wish to be a great king in a great palace, not without my love. I do not wish to begin everything again without you. I want you to know happiness. So now you must decide. Do you wish to be my queen, with servants and feasts and grand parties each and every night, all the while wearing donkey ears? Or do you wish to be what I've always known you to be, the most gifted seamstress in the world and the most kind and generous woman in the universe? The seamstress smiled. The woodsman smiled back. And off in her corner, the old woman smiled too. My husband... My darling, my love, something tells me we can make this last wish together. And with that, they joined hands, pulled each other close, and together wished that the seamstress could go back to the way she always had been. No sooner had they said these words than the donkey ears disappeared with a poof. The woodsman and seamstress hugged each other tightly. Oh, my sweet... Oh, please forgive me for becoming so selfish, so greedy. I'm so sorry I became so thoughtless and mean. It's amazing what the mere possibility of riches and power can do. Let's try to remember the important things in life, even when it's hard. The old woman with the silvery hair shuffled out of her corner and approached the happy couple. My children, what you've gone through today was a test. A test to see if you can understand that we can find happiness in living humbly, just as we can find unhappiness in living with all the riches in the world. And I am pleased to say, you've passed that test. May you know happiness together for the rest of your lives. Just as the old woman was about to open the door to leave the house, the woodsman stopped her. Wait, we cannot thank you enough for the gift you've given us. You've helped us see things in a whole new way, but it's nighttime now and it's cold outside. Your clothing has seen better days, 
Perhaps my wife can give you this magnificent jacket she's been sewing. Why, of course. It will fit you to a T. And earlier, you mentioned your walking stick, the one you lost in the river. Perhaps my husband can offer you one of the sticks he has crafted from the finest trees in the forest. It would make me very happy to do so. And it would make me very honored to accept. So the seamstress and the woodsman fetched the coat and the stick and sent the old woman on her way. They never became rich. They never lived in a great palace or threw grand parties each and every night. But they were happy. They had each other. And who could wish for anything more? Now it's your turn. Think of three things in your life that make you content. And when I say things, that also includes people, even animals. Draw a picture of yourself with the three things that bring you happiness. And ask a grown-up in your life to draw a picture of their three things. Once you're both done, you can share your pictures with each other and talk about why you drew what you drew. We have a new story every week on Circle Round, and we don't want you to miss any of them. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're listening, you can color in some really fun black and white pictures that accompany each episode. They're by artist Sabina Hahn, and they're on our website, wbur.org slash circle round. Today's story, The Three Wishes, was adapted by Jessica Alpert and me, Rebecca Shear. Original music and sound design is by Eric Shimalonis. Special thanks to our actors this week, Kimberly Schreff, Mandy Fabian, and Patrick Fabian. Grown-ups, you can see Mandy's show, Dropping the Soap, on Amazon. And you can catch Patrick on the AMC original series, Better Call Saul. Circle Round is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash circleroundpodcast. I'm Rebecca Shear. Thanks for circling round with us. Have you ever felt frustrated? Try as you might, you can't solve a problem or make something happen, even though you really, really, really want to. Well, in today's story, we'll meet a fellow who couldn't feel more frustrated, all because of a seemingly harmless creature with feathers. I'm Rebecca Shear, and welcome to Circle Round, where story time happens all the time. Today, our tale is called The Skylark. This story originally comes from Portugal in southern Europe. Some really great people came together to bring you our version of this folktale, including Miriam Shore. Grown-ups, you might recognize Miriam from the TV land show Younger, as well as the FX series The Americans. She's also the proud mom of two young daughters. So, circle around, everyone. For the Skylark. When Cora's two children grew up and moved away, she realized that her large house in the countryside had never felt so big or so empty. So Cora sold the house and bought a smaller one. 
The new place was comfortable and charming. And though it didn't boast acre after acre of farmland as the old house had, there was a small field right behind the cozy back porch. Cora took one look at that field behind the house and decided it would be perfect as a vegetable garden. All she had to do was clear away the brush and trees. It just so happened that Cora's nephew, Daniel, owned a landscaping company. Daniel was fresh out of college and had yet to settle down and start a family. He dedicated his heart and soul to his business, often going weeks without a day off. So Cora asked if he would help. There's not much to clear from the field, just a lot of tall grass and wildflowers. Oh, and there's this little group of trees in the corner. But really, it shouldn't take long. Not a problem, Aunt Cora. I'm happy to help. I'll send one of my guys over first thing tomorrow. The next day, Cora went off to her job as principal of the local elementary school. When she got home that afternoon, Daniel was standing in front of the house, his face as red as a beet. Daniel, are you okay? What happened? It's your field. It looks exactly the same as it did yesterday. My guy didn't clear it. Cora laid a hand on Daniel's shoulder. I'm sure there's a reasonable explanation for why the work hasn't been done. Come, let's go find your worker. So Daniel and Cora walked behind the house to the field. There stood the worker, his straw hat in his hands. Well, what do you have to say for yourself? Why isn't the field cleared? The worker looked down at his shoes. With all due respect, Daniel... I tried to do the work. I really did, but I couldn't. Every time I raised my axe to a tree, I was attacked. Daniel and Cora were taken aback. Attacked? By whom? The worker looked up at them sheepishly. A skylark. Daniel could hardly believe his ears. A skylark? But a skylark is a small, harmless singing bird. How could a small, harmless singing bird keep a grown man like you away from your work? I'm telling you, this was no ordinary skylark. This skylark was fierce. This skylark was savage. She kept diving at my head and pecking at my face, my arms, my legs. She wouldn't let me get anywhere near those trees. Daniel looked at Cora, who shrugged her shoulders. Then he turned back to the worker. All right. I'm sending you and two more guys out to the field tomorrow. I want the whole thing cleared by sundown. As the worker drove away in his truck, Daniel shook his head and rolled his eyes. Can you believe it, Aunt Cora? I don't know why I hired this guy. Obviously, he has no idea what he's doing. Cora reached out and gave Daniel a hug. Daniel, I really don't think it's his fault. Something tells me things will sort themselves out. All we need to do is keep everyone away from the field for a little while. What do you mean, keep everyone away? I want you to have your vegetable garden, Aunt Cora. And besides, you don't solve problems by avoiding them. Cora smiled at her nephew. All right, Daniel, as you wish. Now, I need to go inside and call your cousin. He was having trouble with something, and as his mother, I promised him we'd talk it through before dinner. The next day, Cora went off again to work at the elementary school. When she came home, she could hear Daniel yelling from behind the house. As she crept back toward the field, 
she could hear what he was saying. We'll hear what he was saying, too, after a quick break. My name is Avery May, and I'm from Glenwood Springs, Colorado. And my favorite story was the rice cake and the oni. And because when the girl taps the pot, rice cakes appear. Welcome back to Circle Round. I'm Rebecca Shear. Today, our story is called The Skylark. When we left off, Cora had hired her nephew, a landscaper named Daniel, to clear the field behind her new house. She wanted to turn the field into a vegetable garden. But when Daniel sent one of his workers to do the job, he couldn't. The worker said he'd been attacked by a vicious skylark, and she wouldn't let him and his axe get anywhere near the trees. So the next day, Daniel sent a few more guys. And when Cora came home from her job as principal of the elementary school, she overheard him talking to his team. (sighs) I don't get it, guys. I just don't get it. For the second day in a row, I tell you to clear this field. And for the second day in a row, it isn't cleared. Every flower, every blade of grass, every tree is right where it was yesterday. Can somebody please explain what's going on here? The workers exchanged a nervous look. One of them took a big gulp and spoke up. We're sorry, Daniel, but it was impossible to clear the field. It's that skylark. Ah, She's a piece of work, I tell you. Every time we'd raise an axe, she'd freak out. Diving at her heads, pecking at her hands. And she's fast and she's furious. We couldn't drive her away. Please forgive us. Forgive you? I should fire you. I should... Suddenly, Daniel realized Cora was standing right next to him. Oh. Hi, Aunt Cora. Hello, Daniel. What's going on here? Daniel sighed. Your field. It's still not cleared. The guys here say it was that Skylark again. He turned back to the workers. Okay. If that Skylark is truly so ferocious, I'm going to send all of you back to the field tomorrow, along with half a dozen other guys. No ridiculous little bird is going to keep my company from clearing this field. Once the workers had gone home, Cora made her nephew a hot cup of tea. Daniel, I'm telling you, it's going to be just fine. Just fine? How are we going to build you that garden if my guys can't even clear a few measly trees? Cora smiled. Nephew, we are going to clear those trees, and we are going to build that garden. We just need to leave the field alone a little bit longer. The problem will vanish soon enough. No offense, Aunt Cora, but you really don't know much about the landscaping business. I'm sending more guys tomorrow. Cora gave her nephew a peck on the cheek. All right, Daniel. As you wish. Now, I need to jump on the phone with your other cousin. It was her first day at a new job, and I want to hear all about it. The next morning, Cora went off to work again. She stayed a little later than usual. And when she got home, can you guess who was waiting outside her house? 
That's right. Daniel. Oh, Aunt Cora. I'm so glad you're finally here. But I'm not so glad to share the news. Your field. It's still not cleared. Oh? I know, right? According to my guys, the Skylark was back and she attacked them more ruthlessly than ever. This time they tried throwing sticks at her. Rocks, even, but it was no use. She was too quick. Daniel dropped his shoulders and sighed. <sighs> the bird has won, Aunt Cora. You'll never have your garden. Cora smiled. Oh, I'll have my garden, Daniel. The skylark will be gone in just a few days. Then we can clear and plant. Daniel wiped a tear from his eye. You really think so? I really do. So Daniel told his workers to stay away from the field and come back in seven days. The sixth day was a Sunday. Daniel was determined to get some extra work done at the office, but Cora convinced him to take the day off and come over for breakfast. She made her famous cinnamon pancakes, a big favorite when Daniel was growing up. He used to visit Cora and her kids on Sunday mornings, and they'd all laugh, talk, and joke over piles and piles of Cora's pancakes. This morning, Cora suggested she and Daniel sit outside on the back porch. And as they poured their syrup and gazed out upon Cora's field, do you know what happened? They saw the skylark fly away. But she wasn't alone. Behind her, flapping their tiny wings as fast as they possibly could, were three baby birds. Daniel jumped up from his chair. Well, what do you know? You were right, Aunt Cora. I'm going to call my guys and have them come clear your field today. Right now. No need to call them this minute, Daniel. It's the weekend. Please, stay and enjoy your breakfast. Daniel hesitated, but then sat back down. He looked at his aunt with curiosity. Aunt Cora, I have to ask... How did you know the Skylark would eventually leave? Cora smiled. Well, Daniel, it seemed to me that a creature willing to fight so hard to keep others away must be protecting something. In this case, her children. It also seemed that once the children were old enough to spread their wings and fly, she would do what she could to lead them to safety. Daniel reached over and gave Cora a huge hug. Perhaps what he'd said before was true. Maybe she didn't know much about the landscaping business, but she certainly knew a heck of a lot about the parenting business. And maybe, just maybe, someday he would, too. Now it's your turn. Think about a time you had to be patient. Just like Daniel, you had to wait until things worked themselves out. Find someone you like to have fun with, a family member, a friend, and tell them your story. Describe what you had to wait for, how it felt while you were waiting, and how things turned out in the end. Then ask them to tell you a story about being patient. 
This week's tale, The Skylark, was adapted by me, Rebecca Shear, and edited by Circle Round's executive producer, Jessica Alpert. Original music and sound design is by Eric Shimalonis. Our artist is Sabina Hahn. You can color a whole bunch of Sabina's black and white illustrations, one for each Circle Round story. Ask your grown-up to visit wbur.org slash circle round and click on coloring pages. Then show us what you drew. Our email address is circleround at wbur.org. Special thanks to this week's actors, Mitchell Abair, Tom Whaley, Evan Casey, and Miriam Shore. Grown-ups, you can see Miriam on the TV land show Younger and the FX series The Americans. The featured instrument in today's story was the flute. You can learn more about this member of the Woodwind family and see a picture on our website, wbur.org slash circle round. If you haven't yet subscribed to Circle Round, find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a moment, please write us a review. It helps other people find the show. Circle Round is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. I'm Rebecca Shear. Thanks for circling around with us. <laughs>